City, City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, City Limits. Yes, that's it. We've once again come over the tyrant cement and got here on our bikes and things. And um, Junior Zubchenko's over there uh, pressing the buttons for us. The other Good side morning, everyone. Panel. When I say the other side of the panel, she's on the side that you actually have to know what you're doing. Um, <laughs> I'm on this well, what side. What am I doing here? No one knows. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it is a fourth Wednesday of the month, which we don't have a specific subject, but because of the election result last Saturday, dun, 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 dun. Well, people are probably getting sick. But we are going to analyse it today with a couple of people from the left and sort of talk about where the left can go from here, what what they think might mm. have happened, etc. Yeah, I'd, I'd be really uh, curious to ask them about yeah. um, how it... Uh, what it means for the kind of urban issues we talk about on this show as well, so yeah, transport, that's right. housing. Well, I think the first. Energy. Well, they'll both be involved in that because the, well, the first guest, in fact, is a Moreland City councillor. It's um, mm. elected socialist councillor Sue Bolton, but Sue, of course, also ran for Wills last Saturday, mm. and got about three thousand six hundred votes, which I oh, think was. A, I think it was quite respectable. Yeah, and mm. she agrees. Um, <laughs> but it, well, I think it was a good effort. And um, a, a second socialist candidate ran in Corwell, uh, Jerome Small, and he got about the same vote. So I think it was quite encouraging in that sense. Mm. Um, but anyway, we're going to talk to Sue about the election and her analysis of the whole thing and what's happening, you know, where we go from here and uh, what she thinks might have happened and what the positives are, if there's any, etc., etc. Uh, and the second half of the show, we're going to be talking to Dave Kerrin, a long-time union activist and known for many things, including being very active in in uh, worker, in union solidarity and um, in the um, earth worker movement, which is you know, self-contained, worker-controlled factories, etc. And we're going to talk to Dave about a number of things, including the industrial side of it, because he and I were both at a function last Wednesday night to celebrate the 50th anniversary. We mentioned it on air here last Wednesday, but the 50th anniversary of the jailing of Clary O'Shea, uh, the former tramway secretary, who, uh, which led to actually a victory for the unions out of all that at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, and there was a lot of positivity at the meet last week, which I thought was a bit misplaced. One, that they were certain Labor was going to win. But secondly, that if Labor won, the workers' problems would all be over. That was the bit mm. I really had trouble with. <laughs> but um, we might talk about some of that as well, industrial stuff in relation to where it goes from mm. here as well. Yeah, especially connected but, uh, to transport. That's yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm. So we'll go to those uh, fairly early in the show, about 9.15 or so, because we'll, we'll have a good chat to both of them. Oh, tea, of course, tea. And now I you've, knew there was something missing. There's a, there's a, that's wrong. right. That's right. <laughs> now, you've got a... Eugenia, you've chosen the cup. We've got a cup and a mug here today, and Junior had a choice. She had, she, I gave her choice, and she's chosen the cup. So there's it's, your it's cup. It's the first time you've yeah. consulted with me off air about which cup I'd like. That's right. Yeah, I thought about doing it on air, and I thought, no, no, we'll do it before we get there today. <laughs> Don't know why. Well, there we are. We'll just pour that. Uh, that's my mug. What kind of tea is this this time? This is just white tea again today. Mm, but I've got to go and so store refreshing. up. I'm running low on some of the teas. I've got to go, and on the way home, I'm planning to drop in and restock. That's good. Yes. Um, but there we are. Um, just a couple of items, though, before we go to the, the guests. Um, uh, you'll be pleased to know, apart from the fact that they're itching to have a fight with Iran and, and Venezuela, for that matter, to intervene there, with John Bolton, the American you know, the advisor to Trump on war and uh, former, of course, heavily involved in the original invasion of Iraq with George W. Bush and all that lot, yeah, right. the so-called neocons. Credentialed. <laughs> They're itching and desperate to go to war. There's a couple of interesting things out of that, I think. Um, Trump sent out a thing this week saying that they should never threaten the United States and uh, and if they do, the, the end of them, etc. If you want, if Iran wants to fight, that will be the official end of Iran, never threaten the United States again. Well, they actually <laughs> haven't. I mean, and the, and the, there was another comment this week that unless the, unless the uh, sabre-rattling stops, um, Iran will, no, will, no, will not know what hit it. But in fact, the only sabre rattling is from the United it's States. So if them, it stops yeah. it itself, <laughs> there'll be no sabre rattling. Yeah. Uh, but they are desperate, and they've, but they've found what they call credible evidence, apparently. But they can't tell us what it is that Iran is a major threat to the world. As, well, at least they told us the threat in Iraq. It just didn't prove out to be yeah. a total, I mean, the total lie. But, uh, the implication is the same yeah. as well, isn't it? That it's nuclear weapons. 
that's what they've always a, banged on about with Iran. And, it, and of course, they, they only they only oppose people having nuclear weapons if they don't like them. <laughs> they and their friends have them. Yeah, I mean, of course, the, the you know the powers that be in Iran are probably not the friendliest. Well, <laughs> to yeah, our eyes, but. You know. Probably not, but they're they're, they're the government, and uh, they're, yeah, there's definitely they're, they're, no and they're not they're not posing Americans, a threat. Yeah. Like this week, the 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 attack on Saudi oil tankers and the drone attack on Saudi um, are happening just as the American arsenal arrived in the Middle East off the coast of Iran. Um, if we, if Iran sent ships off the coast of America, um, that would be all out war, but they wouldn't be able to anyway, probably. And same if China yeah, did, if America sends sends people off the coast of every country. And if they don't like them there, they threaten them, saying, "Well, you're being aggressive if you oppose us being here." But as soon as they arrived, this happened. And you, now, and I'm not, I'm not one for conspiracy, but gee whiz, it would be absolutely stupid of Iran to actually attack Saudi oil tankers and send drones to Iran to Saudi. I would have thought. Um, and what a coincidence! Just as the American arsenal arrives, these attacks occur. Um, not that I'm suggesting mm. there's any dirty tricks going on. I would never dun, suggest dun, dun, dun. dirty tricks as far as the US is concerned. Interesting. Speaking of dirty, the name Black, um, and people here might remember Conrad Black. He's a former New Canadian newspaper, um, and he's now Lord Black, I think. Or no, they took that off him when he went to jail. I think, or maybe he's back in it. <laughs> anyway, he. Um, I'm, d- I'm already curious about Conrad, who his character is. Well, he. He he went to jail for um, for fraud in 1907, um, and uh, but he, he for a time here he actually owned the, our Fairfax Media, the Age and etc. And, and it was very conservative journalism. He's a he's a complete right wing, one of those complete right wing like Murdoch, Bush, mm-hmm. you know, newspaper barons who uh, just promotes the most conservative things. But anyway, the good news for him is that um, Donald Trump has granted him a full pardon. Um, for his crimes in uh, that fraud crime, and um, so what was he accused of doing? Of fraud, um, mm. of so his own country. Money yes, from, from his own country, from you know, from using getting company money mixed up with his own. Right. Um, he owned four hundred newspapers. Yeah, Trump, Trump at one wouldn't stage. be too concerned about that. No, he wouldn't. But Sarah Sanders, the press secretary, said Lord Black, he's still a lord. That's amazing. Mm. Has made tremendous contributions to business and to political thought. Well, the political thought bit's a bit questionable. He's, <laughs> you know, if 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 Donald Trump's a good example of political thought, then I suppose he has. <laughs> and last year he published a book called Donald J. Trump: A President Like No Other, which apparently was absolutely glowing about Trump and what a great bloke he was. Mm. And now he's he's been pardoned. So there you are. Yeah. Interesting That's wonderful news, I think. Yeah. And speaking of those sort of people, that uh, creature um, Neil Erickson, who the the racist, um, you know, leader of the the right here, who's at all those rallies and uh, etc. He belong, was. Does he belong to a party? Oh, he's one of those. Yeah, whatever they're called, the various the various right wing groups here, the mm. the extreme right wing groups. Um, Ericsson, yeah, he's well known. He's one of their mo- most well known leaders. Mm. Uh, but he was up in court the other day for a for a for um, assault during that Milo Yiannopoulos um, protest in 2017 in, in Kensington. And um, Can he, you was, fill me in on, on he was guilty. That well, protest, it was, Kevin? there was a protest where the where this right wing speaker was was speaking at Kensington Town Hall. And that lot were all there, and then the the left the left turned up to once again express their opposition to having yeah. this, and there ended up being a riot, and um, uh, you know the usual the usual where the left get blamed for it all, and this bloke was building people with poles, etc. Oh he claimed he was only reacting to violence, but the, all the body cams and all the news shots showed that he'd actually rebelled in getting into it, so he was found guilty, but he pleaded that he's about to have a child or his partner, is presumably, um, and um, therefore he shouldn't go to jail. And although he's been convicted a number of times, in 17 he and two others were convicted of inciting contempt for Muslims and fined $2,000 after they filmed a video of themselves beheading a mannequin outside Bendigo Council offices in 2015. The film was meant as a protest against the construction of a local mosque. Last, oh, year, he was, last year he was found guilty of contempt of court for failing to observe orders that he take down on social media posts of himself wearing a uniform of a former employer. One of those posts showed him haranguing former Senator Sam Dastiari in a pub. But he ended up getting another 12-month community correction order out of all this and still not going to jail because he's about to have a little baby. So there mm. you are. Isn't that 
wonderful news. Colourful character. But getting back to the US, and I'm going to have a sip of tea here. Hang on, dude. Mm-hmm. Mm. Look at that slurp, so listener will know. Um, th- this is outrageous. Um, I don't know if you caught this news. It was on the news yesterday. Um, Julian Assange, his belongings are still at the Ecuadorian embassy because mm. he was dragged away. And the Ecuadorian embassy is handing them over to the United States prosecutors. That's unexpected. Uh, well, it's also, I would think, hopefully illegal. Um, they're travelling they're traveling to London to allow US prosecutors to help themselves to items including legal papers, so which, which ought to be you know, private. Um, there's there's the, the element of um, privacy with your, your legal matters. Um, legal papers, medical records, which ought to be private, and electronic equipment. Um, WikiLeaks, which leaked it, <laughs> surprise, surprise, <laughs> says United Nations officials and Mr Assange's lawyers are not allowed to be present. So they uh, can't even have a lawyer present when the other side's getting evidence to charge him with what may in being a, a charge in which they want to execute him. Um, they want to execute him? Well, they, there's some suggestion that if they get him back to America, they'll hit right. him with a charge that actually carries execution. Oh, um, Sorry, pardon me. The material is said to also include two of Assange's manuscripts. Um, and the international legal coordinator for the defence of Assange, uh, Balthasar Gartson, has urged international bodies to intervene. And, well, they should, I would have thought. Mm. I, mean, I think it's just outrageous that they... Uh, Especially they can just, you know, particularly giving it to the other side in a, in what in what could become a, a major legal matter. Yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about the law surrounding people's possessions when they've mm. left. I don't know, <laughs> mm. but it certainly seems odd that they'd hand it over to the Americans, considering they've been yeah. kind of harboring him this whole time. Well, there's legal immunity you get with your lawyer, and that, you know, that, that's where um, that's where the matter of the so-called lawyer X um, recently go. Um, Whatever name is Gobble was her name, whatever. Um, you know that's that's the basis of why everyone's attacking her because she was representing the people who thought they could trust her and she was giving information to the coppers at the same time. So, mm. yeah. Uh, so there you are. Now the other one, another matter, more local, uh, and we'll just do these and then go to our first guest, the National Trust. Um, the North East Link Project, which is that one that links um, the links the Eastern Freeway across to Gross Heidelberg to the, the mm-hmm. whatever they call the yeah. Outer Ring Road out there, massive road um, project. Which, yeah, that's right. Um, they, they, they say there's a there's a gum tree um, at the corner of Manningham Road and Bridge Street, twenty metre tall, um, which it's a red gum which they say has to go, unfortunately, um, the 300-year-old tree needs to be removed from the, for the Manningham Road interchange, but the National Trust is intervening as there's been massive local opposition to it. Um, and um, there was also a, 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 there was a, a competition, I don't know if it was a competition, but a survey to see what people's favourite tree was, and this tree won the favourite tree in the uh, state. In the state? Well, according to that, it was voted the state's favourite tree in an Amazing. online poll. And they say they want to cut it down. But anyway, this is, there's a campaign on to save it, and let's hope they do. Yeah. I mean, good on yeah. those people getting together and organising a campaign to save it. Yeah. yeah. And on a similar environmental issue, at Mornington Peninsula Beach, on at a beach down there, I don't think it says which one. Well, it might be direct Sorrento, maybe. Anyway... Um, People on the beach had a, had what's described as a bull pit terrier. I'm not sure they're all bull pits, but pit bulls at pit least. Bulls. Pit bulls that, that <laughs> people uh, claim to be pit bulls. But anyway, but it, the, the owners, according to one witness, sooled the dog onto a, onto some ducks, onto some swans that were um, that were just nearby, just there. That and, means they kind of intentionally got the dog to attack the swans. And yeah, and wow. and there were twenty swans in the shallows, and they, they reckon they laughed as the as the animal was sort Aww. of, and they had a a swan was attacked, and they've taken to a vet where they're trying to save it. Um, there's a couple of different versions of what happened, other than that, for the dog definitely attacked it, and the owners were sitting on the beach, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that's yeah, again right. a you know another awful story. We're we're, um, ranging from the international big-scale news right down to hyper-local Sorrento and Manningham Road tree, that's right. Uh, (laughs) Love it. But we'll we'll now go to something just as awful, the result of the election last Saturday. 
and Sue, Sue, I'm sure Sue Bolton shattered that we, we faded that song out. But anyway, we have. That was um, uh, Nina Simone's Backlash for everyone uh, listening. Was that Nina? Mm. It didn't sound like it. It mm. sounded different. Anyway, okay. Well, she wouldn't have faded it then. Uh, <laughs> Sue, Bol- <laughs> Sue Bolton's on the line. Sue, um, you uh, ran, of course, for Wills last Saturday as a socialist candidate. You're also a social elected socialist councillor of the city of Moreland. Um, but um, I thought. 3,600 or so votes, and Jeremy Small in, in uh, Corwell got much the same with the Socialist Party. I thought that was a pretty good effort. Yes, we feel quite happy with the results as well. While, um, you know, because this is the first time uh, we've stood, I mean, Victorian Socialist is a sort of a uh, bit of a, like a left electoral alliance, which has been formed last year for the first time. We got a really great result in the state elections where we came very close to getting our lead candidate, Steve Jolly, elected. And I feel that uh, for our first outing for the federal election, we got a really good and respectable result, which we can really build on at around the almost 5% in uh, Wills and Cooper and uh, slightly over 5% in Cornwall. So I think we're sort of on the map now and we can build from here. Mm. And yeah. Sue, did you say this is the first time you were running for a federal election? Your party was? Yes, um, under the name of Victorian Socialists. The Socialist Alliance has run in the past, um, but this is um, part, of, but I haven't run for Socialist Alliance in the Cedar Wills before, um, and this is the first time I've stood in a federal election since being elected as a local councillor. And um, Victorian Socialists only formed early last year as a left electoral alliance. Initially, it was only formed to stand purely in that state election. But given that we had the good result in the state election, we decided then to stand in a federal election and see how we go. And we um, we had, I feel, a great response. Um, and, yeah, we, it's definitely something which we want to build on. And I think probably the notable thing, I think, with us is, you know, we really felt the need for a left electoral alternative to the Greens and Labor um, because we feel that you have to uh, deal with and answer the concerns of working-class people um, who are scared for their jobs and um, scared for uh, losing housing and so forth. There is um, a massive class divide, I believe, that is increasing in Australia, a massive wealth disparity. Um, but the problem is if people don't understand what's causing the loss of jobs or the loss of job security or the loss of housing, then some people will get duped by the racists who say that immigration's the cause or this or that group's the cause and we need to um, undercut that by uh, putting forward answers to the jobs issue and I think that was an issue with the anti with the Adani campaign where obviously we need to stop the Adani coal mine but we need guarantee we need to provide workers with guaranteed jobs, not just uh, you can get a job in another sector of renewables or whatever when that's different companies um, who've got no obligation to employ workers who work in coal mines um, and those workers may not have the skills to work in renewables. Um, You Actually, you can only deal with that through some public scheme which um, creates jobs. That's why we're calling for their whole electricity and energy industry to be back in public hands and um, electricity to be allocated on the basis of human need and environmental need, not on the base, not um, this national electricity market, which really operates like a stock market. Yeah. And um, so just going back to the state election briefly, but really uh, the vote that the Victorian Socialists got there was such that it would have normally got a seat. It was just those preference deal situations that undermined it in the end, wasn't it? That's right. So we came in the northern metropolitan, uh, which covered um, 11 uh, lower house seats, 
like this massive, massive election, uh, electorate, uh, we came fourth out of 19 parties um, after Labor, Liberals and Greens. And we were just pipped at the post by the preferences. Mm. That's why Reason Party got elected and we didn't. But we came extremely close. And um, that was a really excellent result. And we had a really diverse range of people supporting supporting the um, campaign. Yeah. Carking back to now, though, of course, um, the, the, despite the good vote last Saturday, the end result was we've still got Morrison as... Uh, Prime Minister and that lot. So we're talking about things like Adani as you just were, it would now seem that in the next three years all those coal projects are going to go ahead gung-ho. Well, I think so, but I think we have to... Well, there's a whole lot of things with the re-election of the Morrison government. And I must admit I wasn't as surprised as a lot of people because I've seen too many... You know, last year people saying, oh, you know, Labor will automatically get elected and blah, blah, blah. I've seen too many scare campaigns, and Morrison is a master ad man. Um, he, he comes out of the advertising industry. He is master of the three-word slogan, a bit like um, Tony Abbott was when Tony Abbott um, challenged Julia Gillard. Um, so, you know, they're big attack dogs. and But Labor, every time they were attacked by... Uh, by uh, Morrison for um, when Labor talked about fairness and so forth. Um, Labor then, instead of basically uh, taking the fight back up to Ab- back up to Morrison, they basically said, "Oh no, we're not. You know, we're not class envious. No, we're not into class war. We're not against rich people or people getting richer. Blah blah blah." And that, of course, is the central contradiction at the heart of the Labor Party because it is a capitalist party just like the Liberal Party and sure because of its union affiliation and so forth um, it does need to present itself as being a fairer party and you know not without quite such nasty edges as the Liberals but in reality it is the uh, alternative uh, it is a party of capital um, the, it is the party the ruling class relies on when the Liberal Party is too on the nose and they know that the Labor Party there is a safe pair of hands if, I mean, if they can't rule through the Liberal Party. And so we absolutely need an alternative to Labor as well as the Liberals. Um, the Labor Party and the Labor Party... You know, um, various times said we want to have a fairer refugee system, but then, of course, when they tacked on that, they said, yes, no, we're into stopping boats and stopping people from Manus and Nauru ever coming to Australia. They have to go to wait years for a third country. And then ditto on climate climate change. They, um, you know, talked about this being a climate election, but in reality... I would say actually Labor and the Greens have a totally inadequate climate policy for dealing with the climate emergency because fundamentally at the base of it is just relying on buying and selling pollution permits um, in order to reduce carbon emissions. And that is both Greens and Labor underneath it all. It's not enough to stop Adani. You actually need a publicly owned energy industry to make a rapid shift. I do not believe that buying and selling pollution permits amounts to a rapid shift to 100% renewable energy. And even within the renewables market, um, it means that you don't necessarily get what is most needed for um, a, a shift to renewable energy. So in a sense, what happens, because there's a lot of competition amongst renewable energy companies, which are also motivated by profit for their own companies, not what's in the social good. And so you have very rich men like Elon Musk who want everyone to buy his storage battery and is dictating renewable energy policy in this country. And yet that is a highly poisonous lithium-based battery and it's not necessarily the best form of battery storage. So we need a planned approach and that's the only way we can also guarantee jobs for workers in the fossil fuel sector in an alter- in uh, the alternative renewable sector. 
Um, there's no other way of guaranteeing jobs. And if you don't guarantee jobs for w workers in areas where there are very few jobs and you just leave it to the market, then you get the backlash that you saw in Queensland, um, in, in certain areas of Queensland, because people don't necessarily believe that they will get jobs in other other places. Now, obviously, you know, there's a massive scare campaign from the mining tycoons and Clive Palmer and, and the Liberals, et cetera, and, uh, and the Nationals. Um, but, you know, I think that's what you were always going to get unless you provide a plan for guaranteed jobs. And you can't guarantee jobs unless you're prepared to have public sector jobs. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> that's very much the case. I, I thought the whole thing was summed up pretty well. Um, this is an interesting quote, um, Sue. Yanis uh, Varoufakis, the ex-finance um, minister in Greece, who's now running in, uh, running as for the European Parliament as part of a left-wing grouping, and you're probably aware he, he did teach economics here at Sydney University years ago. Mm. And he, he said, as a citizen naturalised um, in 1991, I suggest that all of us citizens of Oz, which is a bit, a bit of a stretch, I would have thought, but anyway, hang our heads in collective shame for having elected a climate change-denying, xenophobic government that only Trump can be proud of <laughs> and, and condemn the ALP for a decade of appeasement and treachery. He sort of summed it up pretty well, hasn't he? <laughs> I think so, but I also think we have to go... Um, I'd sort of rather focus on a bit of a different kind of tack because I think the Morrison government has no mandate because really all they talked about during this election campaign, sure, there was the racism and the climate denialism and all the rest of that in the background, but really their campaign was purely focused on tax. Their campaign was Labor Party's going to tax you, we're not going to tax mm. you, we're going to give these big tax cuts. Blah, tax blah, blah, and blah, our blah. tax. That's right. And so basically they do not have a mandate to introduce a whole, all the anti-union um, laws that we know they're going to want to try and mm. introduce. Um, and I think the movement, the union movement, um, climate movement, all of these movements have to come out swinging because they have not received a mandate. And I think what is really important is that we have to fight the demoralisation that we know is going to come with this election result. And uh, we we have to challenge this idea of the, of, um, the government having a mandate to do what, what it wants. And... Uh, that and we, you know, there is we have to work out the pressure points on the government to build a massive alliance. Now we know that in 2014, Tony Abbott uh, introduced a horror budget, and there was, and unfortunately, it wasn't led by the union movement. It was a large, well, largely spontaneous movement, but which then did get union support. Um, and there was real feet on the ground that actually did some work to build it. So it wasn't entirely spontaneous, but it was um, a really, really important movement. Um, and we didn't fully block the budget cuts, um, the, especially because Labor and the Greens uh, did not agree that supply should be blocked. And that was a big problem because... Um, it meant that some, a whole lot of cuts went through. The only cuts that were blocked were ones which required special legislation um, and there were a lot of cuts that went through with the supply bills. But we actually did achieve a victory in the sense that not all of those cuts were able to be implemented. And so we need to empower people to say that, you, you know, Morrison does not have a mandate for a whole lot of things that he's going to try and claim a mandate for. And so we need to be confident in resisting this government. Um, he did not talk, you know, other, other issues. Yes, sure, he did raise some issues. But the main issue he campaigned on was the tax cut. And uh, therefore, I don't believe he's got a mandate.
And business has come out cheering, of course, ever since. A couple of issues that are dear to your heart, I know, Sue. Uh, with the Herald Sun yesterday, front page headline, Just Build It, and they're screaming that we now have to build the East-West Link, which is something that people, of course, got out and opposed years ago. Um, thoughts on all this, this sort of pressure coming on? Well, I think they're... Well, I think if they try and build the East-West Link, they'll come, uh, you know, they'll come and crop up. Um, I don't think... Um, I think there will be um, a renewed campaign to stop the East-West Link. I don't believe... I, I don't believe that movement has, like, totally gone to sleep. Um, and, yeah, we. The, I, I'm confident that we will stop any attempt to, um, you know, uh, revi- in, revive the East-West Link in Victoria. I think we'll be able to be successful on that front. Um, and, yeah, we'll, we'll see. But I think the key message we've got to have coming out of this election is that we will resist this government. We will not take this line down and we've got to really communicate that because we know that after a terrible election defeat like this, because it is, um, you know, while, well, I don't have trust in the Labor Party, I mean, it still would have been better to have had the Labor Party elected rather than the Liberals um, because we know it is going to result in that sort of demoralisation. But we have to uh, trust in ourselves and we have to um, we have to resist this we can't just um, lay down we that would be the kiss of death would be if we just um, lay down with this um, we have to resist it it's a good note to finish on, Sue. Uh, we've got, we're going to move on to Dave Kerrin and get his views as well now. But um, look, thanks for your views, and we'll doubtless talk to you again over the over the over the distance over the journey because um, it's going to be a tough journey for three years. But thanks a lot. No worries. Okay, thanks. radio. Thanks, okay, radio. Bye. Sue Bolton there, who is uh, she ran for Wills. She's also, of course, well, as a socialist candidate, has. Um, twice now won a seat on the City of Moreland Council. Mm, and, uh, yeah, um, and um, and I think it was a... Yeah, I think they went really well on Saturday. Yeah. One thing I, I should have mentioned to Sue, I, one thing I found disappointing, because the only tickets I took on Saturday were uh, were the Socialist one, and I wanted to just check the Greens one to see what they were saying as well, and the others I just ignored. But I was disappointed that the Greens put... Um, the Labor second and Sue third, and I thought, whereas Sue gave her preference to um, to the Greens mm. on her ticket, but the Greens, in fact, put the Socialists third, but put Labor ahead of them, which I thought was disappointing. Mm. But, There's so uh, much politics involved in that, isn't there? Yeah, Everyone's just trying to yeah. strike deals with each other to get as much power as they can. Yeah, so that wasn't so good. Yeah. But, uh, but I think that, I'm just going to put in a plug for a radiothon, which radiothon. is coming up. Uh, so Sue was talking about how it's important to keep the Morrison government accountable and how they don't have a mandate for a lot of the things that they might try and do. So, yeah, Radiothon's happening here at 3CR in three weeks, and it's our kind of annual week where we try and raise enough money to keep our shows on air including city limits so yeah we have a pretty unique uh, <laughs> role in the media ecosystem don't you reckon kevin well i heard yeah before we came as we were coming on air we, we played the promotion which said this is i think it's we're calling it power something up with this year whatever it's called um uh, power uh, radical radio power radical radio and i thought uh Gee, that's great. I now feel powerful. I'm, I didn't realise how powerful I was. You look powerful today. Do I? Yeah, look at, yeah, you've got that powerful look about you today. Yeah, so. well, I mean, the great thing about community radio is that people like us who would never get airtime on, on a commercial station can no. come here and interview interesting people. And i got several years several years writing for the mainstream media, but they woke yeah. up eventually. Maybe you're a bit more powerful. They, they woke, <laughs> no, they woke up eventually, and uh, that was the end of that. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, um, if anyone is listening and likes our show and wants to support our show, uh, please go to the website and visit the donate page and show your support. Yeah, but in three weeks today, isn't it? One, two, three, three as it weeks, is. Yeah. Three weeks today, we'll actually have our Radiothon program. But if anyone wants to give us money before then, we're happy to take it. But uh, I'm, I point out every year, no donation to, to the Radiothon is, is, is legal or allowed and will be sent back unless you do write city limits on the thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that is not true. Anyone right. who's listening. <laughs> so, but we would like you to write City Limits and support yes, us Yes, that's possible. right. Ignore what the other programs say about that. City, city <laughs> Limits has to be on it. Um, okay, we'll okay, take a break. The, you'll get the electoral commission <laughs> on your uh, tail before you know it. Oh, dear. Maybe I'll better take that. Um, Dave Kerrin after. Uh, Dave Kerrin's on the line, and Dave, of course, a long time... Long, long, long time when I think about it. <laughs> Act- activist in politics, unions, um, <laughs> and um, earth worker in recent years and all sorts of things, but um, a wonderful commentator on the political events of the time, and they're pretty interesting at the moment, Dave. Um, just before we go on to specifics, just a general overview of what you thought happened Saturday? Um, yeah, I, I, I guess... Uh, you know, it's such a complicated picture, isn't it? And, and, and I think it's really Labor trying to come to terms with the Hawke-Keating years where neoliberalism was introduced. Mm. And, and, and I, it's the old thing, you can't be a, a half neoliberal. I don't know, what would be, that would be, Kevin, a half neoliberal? That'd be interesting. It'd be, <laughs> it'd be a luf eo Errol. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. If there was a child involved, you'd call him two heads. But, but, but it, it, you know, I think that that, that's, that that was the dilemma, I suppose, like to, to have a party say, well, look, um, you know, effectively, at some level, the message was you can't have free capital without free labour. You know, you can't restrict and constrain labour and its rights, the creators of wealth, whilst at the same time, you're freeing capital to have virtually no regulation and mm. and, and, and governing legislation. Um, uh, to get that message out there in a neoliberal world, just within the space of an election period or a few months before that, the year before that was announced, it's such a big task. And regardless of who was run, you know, leading it, I mean, this whole this is a whole question of you know the, the, the changes that have been going on for for the last. 40 years within global capitalism. So, you know, I think they ran into that. Um, Just to pick up on that, Dave, I mean, continually business keeps pleading with the Labor Party to get back to what the Hawke-Keating era was, uh, to be like Hawke-Keating. Yes, that's right. And, 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 you know, there was Abbott's comments now, you know, and he's he's typically Abbott, but he said, you know, Hawke had a a Labor heart and a a Liberal head. Mm. And you know, how and how had praised him highly and said he was the best Labor Prime yeah, Minister ever. And you know, like you just think like, but anyway, what does that mean in real terms for real ordinary working people like ourselves? Well, it meant that, that you know you're confronted again with mine workers and timber workers and uh, you know real jobs as an alternative to the ones they're doing now, and you're not just going to snap your fingers and have that happen. And where where is the investment going to come from for those new jobs? And where will the jobs be situated? And so it brings you back to the earthworker strategy. The only mm. the only so far like it or or love it, and we haven't had anyone say they don't love it. Um, our movement's come up with a solution that says, let's put the new green climate jobs in the carbon dependent areas of Australia, and let's centre a lot of that around manufacturing. Mm. Can you just explain for those who aren't aware alone. about Earthworker the fact that you've got it operating in the Latrobe Valley, etc. Just a bit of, just a so, few people. So here. simple nut, nutshell: workers' co-ops, 100% unionised co-ops, not for profit, because the profit for us is the job. What we make, we then make accessible through the agreements that unions do with employers. So instead of a wage increase, the worker can take solar hot water, for instance. Um, or buy into battery storage or, or, or another uh, other options. What does that do? Well, it future-proofs our members. So instead of cash, which means debt, because your energy costs are going to keep rising, they take the goods, which eliminates debt out of their home. It gives us jobs that the communities of working people own and control, and especially in those regional areas, that's important. And these it's jobs, a- Dave, are manufacturing renewable technologies, right? Manufacturing and, and, and indeed service sector jobs too, like Red Gum Co-op, which is an earthworker co-op, can't keep up with the work at the moment. And what are the they really, doing? The really difficult jobs to get in place are the manufacturing ones. So we've got the we've got the uh, factory down there in, in Morwell, and we've got the first major union, the Maritime Union of Australia, have now adopted earthworkers as policy nationally. So that means there's the potential for all of their agreements opening up to the earthworker clause which means workers can take the goods instead of cash. 
So that does so many things. And then 5% of every surplus we make goes to the community sector. So we've already put solar hot water systems into Bob Maguire homes and, and, and hospices, that sort of thing. Um, 5% minimum Indigenous intake in every group of worker owners coming in. Those sort of policies, that's coming out of our movement. Now, we need to be... And, and it unites everyone, mine workers, timber workers, to the deepest green kid out there thumping the streets. We've got to, we've got to develop these policies that unite everybody... Uh, that doesn't mean we put aside the differences, but it means we focus on what we agree on. And, mm. and I think that's what Saturday showed. Yeah, there was an interesting figure I saw yesterday where if you take Queensland and uh, Western Australia out of the equation, which of course you can't, but in the other states, Labor in fact overwhelmingly won the majority of seats, you know, huge majority. But the big, the big problem was that Queensland and Western Australia went so strongly for the coalition, and uh, you, you know that's. You sound where, a bit disappointed that we can't cut them out of the electoral process, Kevin. Well, it's right, it's, <laughs> but it's where the. Uh, but I mean, we we know the reason. It's this jobs thing you're talking about. Well, 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 it's true, and, and you know, not many people know, but Earthworker, the first business plan we did, we we finally got the resources to be able to do and get out there was 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 um, made possible by the Victorian mining division of the CFMEU. So, mm. you know, we, 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 these things are nuanced and they're not completely black and white the way they're painted. But, but just getting back to that thing about what can our, be our response after Saturday, well, it seems to me, regardless of what our parties do, be they Labor, Green or, or, or Socialist, um, the question for us as the organised labour movement is, what do we do? Mm. What are, where are our policies? I mean... Where's the equivalent of what we had in, in, in times past where we had policies on South Africa, on Vietnam, on Northern Ireland, on Palestine? We had policies on... on that's where Medibank came from. It came yeah. out of our movement. Whitlam picked it up. Mm. You know, where are our policies and how do we bring those policies about yeah, on the ground? A, a book um, by a woman, Kirkby, out at La Trobe. What's her name? I can't remember. But anyway, her, her history of the Siemens Union... Um, came out four or five years ago, maybe longer now. But she had it broken up. It was well written. It was broken up into chapters where they took action on all sorts of issues, um, like the, the stopping the, the ships in the Vietnam War in, in its mm-hmm. campaign against the Greek generals. Uh, so, you know, it showed and campaign for women on the jobs. But but it showed that the unions were heavily involved in all these uh, all these broader political issues that were so important. Exactly right. And, and I, look, I remember uh, one of the Diane first... Diane Kirkby's her name, by the way, just came to me. Yeah. Go That's on. right, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, I remember one of the first things where a seed was planted in, in my younger head, when I actually had hair, mm. but, but it, it was was the Bluey's Boots and Ogrels campaign in construction. Now, now, the Bluey company was nearly broke in Tasmania, about to close its doors. Because of our national campaign, it became a multinational, and we no longer own it. So, you know, that, that woolen coat, the bluey coat, um, it, 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 because we'd used our social weight in a way, and it was unintended consequence, but because we'd used that weight in a particular way, it caused the economy to take a direction it wouldn't have otherwise taken. Now, write that large across an economy where we own and control a democratic sector, a social sector of the economy, um, that's the sort of policy that our movement um, can make happen on the ground. And then all of the progressive parties, um, we're giving them a feather to fly with when they hit an election. You know, so, and, 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 we're, and we're resolving that question of division within the working class communities. Mm. Yeah, and I think um, I really admire what you guys do because I think it, um, it does operate in that area that often divides people in this country about jobs and the economy and the environment. You know, they're often things that cause people to split and change their views on something. But, yeah, what, what you do is kind of um, bringing people together. We can all agree that, you know, we need sustainable employment in this company and we yes. can all agree that climate change is real and we need to take action. And I think, yes. yeah, I think that your initiatives are really great. Yeah, you know, and that's that's the response uh, right across the board, you know. Like, we, we, we've got National Party people down the valley who love Earthworker. I mean... Mm. You know, goodness bless him, bloody 
Russell North. Mm. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's embarrassing for Russell and me, but the reality, is, the reality of it is... Embrace it, Dave. Yeah, beautiful. that's right. You know, embrace your difference. I, like, he, he, yeah, he can't speak highly enough, and he's, he's done it sometimes when it hasn't done himself any favours. So, we've, no, we've just noted that, by the way, Dave. It's, yeah, not, it's on yeah. your record. Yeah, put that on my OJ5. <laughs> so, anyway, I mean, the reality is, you know, like, to just, just go up to Queensland... And, and say, stop it, Arnie. Well, yeah. you know, y- yes, there's, there's a truth in that, isn't there? There's, a, there's an ultimate truth in it because we're now in the climate emergency. But but it doesn't have anything about it by way of um, uh, a practical, on-the-ground on the way forward for the working-class communities in those areas. So, but you put, you know, um, literally half a dozen factories in the carbon-dependent any carbon-dependent area, employing hundreds of workers in manufacturing and then all of the subsidiary jobs off, off that. Um, and then, importantly, you provide a market means, a social collective market, not the private market, because otherwise you go the way of all other Australian businesses, um, to distribute your goods and the energy. And you're looking at a different sort of economy there. You're looking at an economy where... It, it's responsive to the fact that in the 70% of all the capital invested in Australia is our super. That's socialised capital. Now put that socialised capital together with socialised jobs. And we're looking at a different Australia. And all of the three progressive sides of politics can pick up on that and support it. And indeed, having raised super, it, I was thinking over the last couple of days, it's, it's odds on now, I think, that this new government will do all it can again to attack the union's control of super and try and get it across to their mates in the banks and the financial institutions again. Absolutely, and, and look how conflicted we are with all of that stuff. You know, it's A, we still allow it to be called private capital. B, we still, as a movement, we refer to the employer contribution when there was never one. I mean, it's labour we've already been paid for. What are the employers doing sitting on the boards? So, you know, we've got to democratise super and then we've got to provide a pole of attraction, financially and economic pole of attraction that mm. it can get in behind. Uh, and what, what we've always said, it's the big infrastructure project. And on that, we've raised it here a few times, but people like CBUS are some of the biggest developers in the country of high-rise mm. buildings and apartments and offices, but none of what they invest in addresses the problems of homelessness or people who can't afford housing. Well, well, this is the thing now. This is interesting because, again, again, and no-one knows about it yet, but Victorian unions, through the Trades Hall, work we carrying and others at Trades Hall, are now um, initiated something two weeks ago that's going to lead the charge on this. So what they've put in place, um, and the steering committee has just been built, but a powering Melbourne Cooperative Steering Committee that's going to take um, half a year to, to get a report together, steering committee made up of, you know, weighty people who know their stuff, to drill down and look at what will it look like to green the CBD and the surrounding suburbs, you know, your Moorlands, your Yarras, your Port Phillips, etc. What will that look like? How do we do it? What are the problems that we're going to run into? So um, that... Do you mean, Dave Greener, in terms of energy generation? Yeah, well, energy generation, but also um, by microgridding places like the Victoria Market um, and using all the waste to energy, we also use part of the waste to compost and so people can do their balcony gardens and... You know, we, we can, um, as an organised labour movement, do things and not wait for governments, but so long as we get the superannuation in behind it. So mm-hmm. this discussion that the Trades Hall Council has, has, has um, let off the leash is truly revolutionary. And, mm-hmm. and so we've got to get the good news story out there because if that report then comes down and say, yes, it is feasible for an earth worker cooperative of construction workers to get out there and begin this work, and this is what it will look like. Mm. So, so that's it is exciting, and, and then as I say, you give you give the parties that workers turn to in the progressive sense, so Labor, Green, Socialist, you give them a feather to fly with when they hit an election. Yeah, the other side of that, I mentioned at the opening of the program, you and I were both at the Clary O'Shea do last Wednesday night, mm-hmm. um, where I got the feeling the unions were were thinking, well, if Labor wins on Saturday, all our troubles are over, and I, I. I thought, as I said earlier, I thought that was a touch misplaced. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think, um, you know, uh, it, it's, it was so important that a union was celebrating that part of our history around Clary. Um, but, you know, 
it, it, it wouldn't have, couldn't have happened if, if someone like Claire O'Shea did not have a framework within which they, they lived their day-to-day union life. And that framework... And had spent years building up to that moment, not just... 13 years. That's right, 13 yes. years of organising. So, but, but a framework that said, put me in jail, and it is a badge of honour, because this is the way I'm choosing to live. You know, you go right ahead, do your, do your worst, and because I know working people, when they know what's involved here, they will come in and support. So you go right ahead. And I think that, that example... Is, is now where we're at with Morrison, and, and uh, I, I suspect we're going to find some pretty um, br- brutal blues in the years ahead. And again, that's even more reason why we've got to have a big yes as to the way forward in this country that's, that's, that's beyond a mere enterprise agreement. And you can't deal with the problems of the nation within the confines of an enterprise agreement. Mm. Um, uh, you, you've got to have at minimum a patent bargain right across your industry for a start. Um, because governments don't regulate those industries anymore, and only unions can. So we've got a lot to to talk about as a movement so that we don't face what happened on Saturday again. And I think from our perspective, it's really answering that question, never mind what the parties um, are going to decide and who's going to lead and all this. The question for us is, what are we going to do? As a movement. Yeah, because the Labor Party is clearly going to become more conservative now. I mean, there were a couple of policies that weren't too bad, but they're backing off them. Yes, they're seeing uh, that they were a problem. Yeah. And, and that's why I said when we opened up, I mean, I think this is, it's a difficult thing for a Labor Party that ushered in the neoliberal agenda to go back and look at, well, what are the alternatives to that mm. and how do you bring it about? Yeah. Mm. Dave, we're pretty well out of time. Any, any final, uh, in about... 30 seconds, any final uh, thoughts about the whole thing? No, good, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, thank you. Are we, we going to need it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. We've got each other. That's what we have. We have each other, and that's yeah. so important. I think we can expect, though, massive attacks on the industrial side of the labour movement, and um, we need to be ready to fight for them, yeah. We, we, we do, and, and, you know, sticking together, looking after each other, um, that's, that's the crucial thing yeah, all right. Great great note to end up on. We don't usually have positives on this program. We'll let you get away with it. <laughs> Good on you, Colin. We, we like to depress people here. <laughs> but okay. Look, Dave, right. thanks for your time, Colin. And, um, okay, thanks. we'll see you around. Thanks. Good thanks, on. Dave. See you now. Bye. Dave Kerrin there, long term activist, and as I say, one of the key people around Earthworker, which is doing great work. Mm. Yeah. Fuzzy feelings all around. Yeah. So what's on next week, Kevin? Next week's a fourth. We're going to have to talk about it after the show. It's a fifth Wednesday. <laughs> fifth Wednesday and ah, we just need the to. magical fifth Wednesday. But I'm thinking of maybe getting Kate Shaw on from Melbourne about some of the current initiatives in, in housing because mm. like, she came out last She's week. She's a public housing academic. Attacking the government for um, selling off public, you know, mm. selling off lands to developers and community yeah. groups rather than develop it themselves. Yeah. yeah, and we've heard about transport and energy from the election perspective this week, so it'd be good yeah. to get her to talk about the housing well, stuff. Well, the big business is calling for a housing minister, but not for the reasons we'd call for a housing minister, of course. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> so if more, it wasn't bad enough. <laughs> they want more handouts. Like, we've got to go because Joe's going to burst in any yep. second. So thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> next, uh, next up is Annika Swell this week, and don't forget to subscribe to City Limits online if you want to support our show. Thanks.